Anywhere you go, there's fucking traffic. Who the fuck made this city? Who made this city? I'm Jordan. And I'm AJ. You're listening to We Built It That Way, a show about how we shape the places we live and how they shape us, our behaviors, our relationships, our opportunities, and our imagination. Hey, AJ. What's up? Have you ever been in a traffic jam? I have. (laughs) What were some of the feelings that you experienced the last time you were in a traffic jam? Apprehension, because I was running late. That's a $5 word. (laughs) At the same time, um, I was getting a little bit of of like uh, relaxation. Whoa. Because I was just sitting there, you know, singing along to the radio. And not thinking about anything for about five minutes, which is rare. But then, you know, after a very short period of time, impatience, severe and growing impatience. I think what we've learned here is traffic congestion. It's all in what you do with it. (laughs) There you go. Make the most of it if you can. (laughs) (laughs) So today, uh, as you may have guessed, we are talking about traffic congestion. And this is a pretty loaded topic, so we might actually have to turn this into a two-parter. But AJ, why don't we just start with the basics of what we mean when we say traffic congestion? I feel like we, yeah. we talk about it a lot. What what comes to mind for you when you think of traffic congestion? Waiting. Mm-hmm. Sitting behind other vehicles. Having time delays. Uh, when you do move, you're moving very slowly. You basically feel like you're a link in a chain and you can't get anywhere unless the entire chain is moving and there's absolutely nothing you can do to make that happen. That's great. I'm usually thinking somebody messed this up. Like somebody planned this wrong. Who's responsible for this? You know? I feel like a lot of people want to blame somebody. (laughs) If I put my planner hat on, that's probably true. But with my my person (laughs) hat, it's just all about me. So, Well, I guess maybe that's just a personal thing. I look for somebody to blame all the time. (laughs) I should probably hash that out in therapy next time. But you ever see that viral video of the guy who's like, who made this city? Yes. (laughs) He's sitting in traffic. You know, you wake up in the morning happy, feeling good to go to work. And then when you, at six o'clock in the morning, at six, there's, there's, there's traffic. At six in the morning. Imagine at seven. To, To me, it just, just freaks me out the fact that there's no way of fixing it and anywhere you go if you take jerry you take jean talon anywhere you go there's fucking traffic who the fuck made this city who made this city and i think that's it's like either who's who like whose dumb driving skills if you're not being generous like caused this to happen or who made who's responsible for designing this wrong right but as we're a show concerned with the design and the layout and the physical nature of things and how they shape our lives, uh, we're going to talk a lot more about the planning and design impacts on how we experience traffic. And so I wrote down my little take on congestion happens when like these three conditions are in place. You have to drive to get somewhere. You have to take a route that a lot of other people have to take. 
and there's too much mass filling up too little space, cars and trucks, you get congestion. Or um, when the cars don't play nice together and, um, you know, one crash backs up everything because everybody's being funneled through one choke point. And guess what? It gets cut off. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so that's, I mean, that's the basic like dynamics behind traffic congestion. We all kind of understand it. There's a really popular video on YouTube that it's got like 30 million views. And this guy is talking about why traffic jams happen. And his whole rationale is that people aren't good enough drivers and that we don't maintain enough distance between each other to like Ah. account for when somebody sees something on the side of the road or whatever and turns their head or so that like creates this like bubble like that extends backwards um Uh and i guess that does happen and i think that's kind of a surface level explanation of what happens and his his like his solution was like we just need to be better drivers and then he was like that's unrealistic the solution really (laughs) just needs to be everybody's in self-driving cars Oh, wow. At first, I was going to say, well, at the very least, I support his passion to end tailgating because I'm all about that. But um, yeah, that that went left a little bit. I wasn't expecting that. And the reason I bring that up is just because, like, I guess if you look at it from one angle, if you could just have all the cars talking to each other, you wouldn't have the same issues because people could accelerate at the same. Because having all the people talking to each other is going great for us right now. Right. But what I think is the issue with that is it does it doesn't look really at like the systemic causes mm-hmm. of congestion. You know, we'll we'll probably talk about autonomous vehicles at another point, but I really want to have us focus on some of the the deeper issues related to congestion. I would agree that there's systemic issues that we need to discuss and I think you know the other part of it is acknowledging that we have the opportunity to do things differently in a way that makes this feel less like an effect that we're the victims of and more like we're the architect of our own kind of destiny, if you will. I totally agree. I think there's a lot of discussion about traffic congestion, almost as though it's this kind of natural phenomenon that, and it is kind of, but like that it's just this unavoidable reality that it was going to happen no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that makes sense if you don't go far enough examining all the assumptions, because there are a lot of assumptions baked in there and a lot mm-hmm. of decisions made before you get to that point. Yeah, it's also a very convenient way of looking at it, letting ourselves yeah. off the hook a bit, because it's a series of of decisions that we all make that, that yeah. lead us to this point. And I know we're going to talk about what some of those are. Yeah, well, that's why we started this podcast was to look at some of the thought processes Uh, behind some of the things that just feel like a given. And we've kind of already talked about this, but people generally hate congestion for a lot of good reasons because it's really annoying. It's stressful. It's a waste of time. So there are all kinds of reasons like why individuals should really hate congestion. You know, it's also an environmental issue with all those motors running and creating air pollution. It can slow down emergency response vehicles. It can slow down buses. It actually used to slow down streetcars when those were a thing and they mm-hmm. shared space with everybody. But yeah, I just thought it was like important to acknowledge before we add some nuance that, yeah, people hate congestion <laughs> for some very good reasons. It's pretty, yeah, pretty universal level of hate going around. 
And I don't know if this is a good time to bring it up, but there's another sort of entry into this congestion is bad. And it is the pretty influential and very much discussed Texas Urban Mobility Report. Are you familiar with this? I love to discuss this. <laughs> That's having what we're here sp- for. <laughs> having spent some time working in transportation planning, I, uh, yes, let's uh, let's dig into this a little bit. Can I just start with my initial rant? Like, I feel like I need to just get it out of the way. It's the elephant <laughs> in the room. For the love of God, can we please quit calling it an urban mobility report? Because the report okay, does bingo. not actually talk about mobility at all. <laughs> That's not what that yes, word means, TxDOT, TTI. That's not what that word means. Well, you know, that's one of our indications of assumptions, right? Underlying assumptions that mobility is based on moving with an automobile. Whether you're, yep. whether you're a truck moving goods or you're a person in a car or an SUV. But that's it. That's mobility, if right? If you're moving something on a bus or the subway or walking or on a bicycle, uh, you don't count. You just don't get to be part of this influential uh, report, unfortunately. All right. So it's named annoyingly. Yeah. I think a better name would be like justification for the business of highway building or something (laughs) like that. I'm sorry, daytime television. I'm sorry for the realness. Yeah. (laughs) That would certainly be a more honest. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no. Well, so let's get in. Let's talk about it really quick, because like they obviously are betraying what their focus is. Right. But the bigger issue maybe is the what you just said is like some of the conclusions that they come to before I hand it back to you. Like one of the things that is always the most talked about and, and most interesting to most people is that they put a dollar amount to how much congestion is supposedly causing people in cities and they have like people always love like rankings of cities like good and bad. Mm-hmm. So that's always going to be eye catching. But maybe you could talk through that real quick. Yes, let's talk about that real quick. And I want to start by saying there are some amazing, wonderful people at TTI. So I don't want to say that everything is all bad that's going on over there. But sure. the the way that the report seems to reward certain things over others is really interesting. And it shows this mm. this bias that's kind of baked into it. So um, there's that paired with some things that are a little illogical. For example, there are instances in where the report considers your inability to drive over the speed limit congestion. I've read this, yeah. So there's there's that. That's staggering. It it is. It is. It's it's shocking, and I'm a little <laughs> a little concerned that that continues to be done. You know, the way that uh, prioritization is done with with the way they are grading the the different cities. What it really comes down to is if you have a great score and you're rated highly in this report, guess what? You have a lot of cars that drive really fast. Congratulations. You go to the head of the class. Now, if you are perhaps a community that has prioritized placemaking and walkable neighborhoods and maintained the classic grid and things of that nature, you are graded at a much lower rate and you mm, are at the, uh, the bottom of the class. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I think that's yeah, inherently yeah. some of the... The issues, it just seems very tone deaf and uh-huh. uh, it doesn't really take into account a lot of other factors that 
are part of this. And and then you add on that the fact that it's, you know, there's really not a peer review of sorts. You know, there have been a number of people that have written uh, pieces on this. So there's a lot of uh, resources that you can look at. One of the people that you can look up um, who's written a lot about this is Todd Littman, um, mm-hmm. who has major transportation shops. And um, he takes these these reports and he's dismantled a couple of them point by point. So if you want to see a little bit more of that that comparison that we're referring to, take a look at that. Yeah, we'll put some links into the show notes as as usual for this. But yeah, just, you know, to be to be fair to the project in general, you know, like we said, nobody likes congestion, whether they're in a car experiencing congestion, trying to deliver goods or trying to ride a bike around a, mm-hmm. just streets that are totally clogged with traffic. It's it stinks, it's loud, it's it's no good. And Trying to find ways to alleviate that does strike me as good. The valid criticisms that that I've heard and kind of just what you said is that it it ultimately seems to serve justification for building more highways and funneling more money to the industry that, you know, profits from that without really serving quality of life benefits. All right, now it's time to talk a little history before we move on. And a lot of what I'm about to talk about, uh, I found in a book called Fighting Traffic by Peter Norton. So if we look back over 100 years ago, we find that until about 1915, traffic congestion, it was used, but it was actually not in relation to cars. So articles about traffic congestion before this time we're actually more likely to be about crowding on streetcars or inadequate harbor facilities than about the crowding of streets with vehicles and pedestrians. But about 1915, the term traffic congestion was transformed. At that point and, you know, up, up till today, it, it always pretty much meant crowding of streets with motor vehicles. So during the first part of the 20th century, Traffic regulation really had started to become a police issue. This is really once cars started to proliferate in cities, but this is still, you know, first 15 or 20 years. And so the speed of cars was considered a public safety issue because (laughs) it was (laughs) and it is. And there was kind of this back and forth for a little while where the police thought of car speed as a public safety issue. And most people thought of cars as intruders and then there was kind of like the scientific you know in air quotes approach that that had started to gain sway and there was William Phelps Eno and a few others that like became really important in starting to develop traffic standards but importantly their focus was on solving congestion and the congestion as we see it now Eno this guy I mentioned um, was just one of many and his he liked to think of himself as like a scientist but he really kind of was and he was just obsessed with <laughs> traffic. He said that properly understood and regulated, several times the present traffic in our streets could go on with less delay, more safety, and more comfort than what is there now. And he was really influential. He was in New York City, but 
a lot of cities followed that kind of model. But there's still this push and pull between the public safety approach and the kind of like scientific, let's move everything. Um, so it's like maintain order or maintain efficiency. But like we've said in other, uh, I think in another episode, the street was sort of this place where there was kind of no rules except that you just were supposed to treat people with respect and there was kind of just like norms associated with it. And the police approach was to limit traffic flow. So they, they didn't think of congestion as like an issue. They actually thought of it as kind of helping in their goal to create safer, slower streets. And as cars became more and more prevalent, traffic congestion drove street railway operators to start demanding more regulation because it was chaos. And the auto industry started framing congestion as like a shortage of street capacity. The auto industry was really powerful and important in framing the ways that we talked about congestion and the ways that we talked about safety, um, because primarily people were concerned about those two things. Cars congest the streets, they make the streets fill up with a lot of mass, which causes problems for everybody. And then the speed being a safety issue. Now, even auto interest groups were participating in these like safety first initiatives. Like they were all on board and they <laughs> started to hear how people were talking about cars and restricting them and removing them from city centers. And they were like, oh shit, we need to like get out in front of the narrative. So they reframed safety as a cars aren't an unsafe thing for cities. You just need to get people out of the way of cars. That's safety. We've talked about how yep. playgrounds yes. came out of that, right? Yes. And the other thing was that congestion, they reframed that to be not an excess of cars, but a scarcity of street space. So you just remedy that by a supply and demand model of street capacity. What could go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? So and I'm, I know it's a lot, but I, I'm wrapping up. So safety, you know, reframing the street as a place that pedestrians don't belong. Congestion, you just need to open up that capacity. And really important to how they did this was using the language of freedom and to break with the long-standing norms of like the street is, is a public good by just claiming like we're at the dawn of a new era. We got to like throw away what we thought we knew and this is progress so streets essentially went from being as public domain to being like a supply and demand problem for moving cars and we have gotten pretty good at moving cars like i will say but ironically <laughs> i'm not sure that we've gotten great at preventing congestion agreed we definitely have <laughs> not i focused a lot on like the 20s and the teens and the, because that's really when the the paradigm shifted. Mm -hmm. But it's it's interesting how language can really, if it breaks through, it can really inform a lot of the decisions and modes of thinking. Even today, a hundred years later, we are still thinking about streets in the same way. We touched on that when we did our episode about why is it so dangerous to cross the street? Um, and so it's, yeah, it's, it's mind boggling how one industry has managed to touch so many elements of human life mm -hmm. and recenter it around the automobile. Yeah. And presented as freedom and then also presented as like choice. Mm -hmm. Like this is just what everybody oh, yeah. ch chooses. Yeah. Yep. So going back to the specifics on congestion, 
Let's talk about some things that really drive congestion. And pe- different people are going to have different takes on this. Mm-hmm. The Texas A&M folks have their take. But uh, I think we have maybe a little bit different take. Um, and we- we've we've come up with a few here. And I'll just start off with the one that like is like the dumb guy answer, but geometry. Like if a car is, I don't know, I sat down and tried to do the math. It's like takes up like 30 times more floor space or whatever the term is like then just a person like square footage square yeah. footage and so it, it adds up real fast it's like a it doesn't take that many cars to fill up right a lot of space there's a lot of great graphics of this yes. online and there's a series of videos that was done by this uh, group called the ptv group um where they do simulations with uh, that are that are showing um, cars versus buses versus trams versus cyclists versus people and showing the space differentials between what they take up and how fast they can move. Yeah. And in some of their scenarios, they've, they've actually been able to show that alternative forms of transportation are going to move more quickly, therefore lessening congestion because of the size they take up. And so, yeah, th- they've done some really great ways to visualize that where you you see it, I think they're all like ten to fifteen second videos, and and it's like a light bulb goes off. It's, yeah. it's a really different way of thinking about it. Yeah, that just sheer space issue is not something you can solve by making them all electric vehicles. It's also a stewardship thing, right? It kind of plays into this notion of we have a finite amount of resources. We want to make the most and be the most productive with the bit of resources that we have, and so I think it kind of turns that angle to where it's a more visible angle where people can can actually think about it in a different way of, you know, earlier you were talking about how streets were public space. And mm-hmm. so although that has <laughs> has changed that perception greatly, I think we all still fundamentally understand this notion of, okay, um, what are the different options for the use of something and what makes the most sense from an efficiency and productivity standpoint. And yet we don't have those conversations when we're talking about congestion very often. We only have them in the sense of speed equals efficient because I get where I'm going Uh quickly. And that's really as deep as it gets. It's not easy being green. You know, I've always liked the Muppets, but I just cannot agree with Kermit on this one. Hi, I'm Brad Bradford, CEO of Sustainability Team Business Services Incorporated, and I help business owners across the tri-state area realize just how easy going sustainable can be. Some consultants will try to tell you that you need to change in order to be sustainable. Your expectations, your processes, maybe even your whole business model. I've even heard it said that some entire industries are fundamentally unsustainable. Perhaps you've been made to think, as many of our clients once did, that sustainability requires a fundamental restructuring of our economy based on a deeper ecological understanding of our relationship to the earth and away from an extractive model of growth. Well, how do I reconcile my business with this reality? If this thinking sounds familiar, maybe your business could use a gentler touch. The important thing to remember is that sustainability is about you. It's about living life worry-free. It's creating a positive vibe in the office. 
and a warm glow around your company image to outsiders and prospective clients and customers. We have helped dozens of business owners from across the region successfully realize their inner sustainability without losing a cent of profit and without any fundamental changes to their business model. We're not magicians, we're coaches. The true magic we perform is helping you see that deep down, your business was sustainable all along. Your job is naming it, claiming it, and getting your groove back. What do you think of that, Kermit? Set up a call with us today. Sustainability Team, Business Coaching Services Incorporated. Helping you be the you you always were. It's beautiful. And I think it's what I want to be. Okay, so yeah, the space thing, congestion can be a thing at any scale, of course, but with cars, since they're so big and they carry so little, it stacks up a whole lot quicker. Uh, the next thing is funneling. I I just love this topic. I love talking about the standard street. Functional classifications. I love it. All right. So we're going to get into the weeds, but this is going to be fun. Me and AJ, I guess, have a lot of thoughts on this. So the basic idea is this. In your city, there is a road hierarchy that, whether you know it or not, it's set up to basically funnel all traffic into the same few arteries. And the idea is that traffic starts out on these small, quiet streets and then get funnels to a collector, which then gets funneled to like an arterial, which then like there's even bigger ones of that. And then it eventually gets onto the highway, right? And I guess the idea is that it's sort of like mimicking natural processes of like water flow or something. (laughs) You could view it that way or you could view it as sort of this herding mentality. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm just saying that's what the that's the like framing, right? Even going back to the term congestion and flow. But to restate, there's a hierarchy of the street and road system and kind of just ends up being set up for funneling you into places that you feel crowded. I mean, is there a better way of saying that? Yeah, it it really is. It's a notion of control. You're controlling this traffic problem, right? It's it's just natural. It's going to be here no matter what. So we're going to control it by giving it very specific places where it can go and join others like it. And eventually we get them all to a place where they can drive as fast as possible and get quickly to their destination. But it is short-sighted in in a lot of ways. You know, one of the big things that has been a criticism of this approach is number one, there's a lack of alternatives. You have very few choices on how you get from A to B. So, you know, there's a big difference between, for example, if you use your GPS or, you know, um, Google Maps or something on your phone Mm -hmm. when you're navigating, you know, sometimes you can put in your destination from where you are and you've got four or five different routes and you can choose the one you want to take. But there are other routes where there's really one, maybe two ways to get there and that's it. And so that's one thing. It gives you a lack of, of alternatives Whereas your, you know, your street grid, of course, you have opportunities very frequently, you know, it also, because of giving that lack of alternatives, it's very odd how sometimes you can look at um, maybe an aerial view of Mm -hmm. an area that you know well, and you can see that something is 
right there. Like it's right there. I can almost (laughs) see it from where I'm at, but I have to drive six miles to get there because the street classification system has limited the ways that I have to reach that place. And then, you know, when you start to look at that long term, it, it almost presents itself as this uh, phrase that's been, been utilized. It's not mine, but I like it, which is the deficiency of scale mm. where it, you know, as, as you're getting into those larger and larger street classifications, they're actually more and more deficient because of some of the things that, that we've mentioned and that we're going to be talking about. So, you know, and people, when people complain about traffic, what's one of the biggest things that you hear about? I know for me being a city employee, it was traffic lights. Yeah. And the problem was what? It was the timing of lights. It wasn't yeah. anything else about the situation because that's natural, but it was the light situation. So it, yeah, it, it's interesting how it, derails us a little bit from what's really going on. Yeah, I think that key to the experience of congestion and being a part of traffic congestion is that there aren't really alternatives, which is what you're talking about. There's no redundancy yeah. built into that system. So if you're on the one way to get get somewhere or maybe two one of two ways to get somewhere and it's traffic's flowing because it's midnight, well, it does work great and you can zoom through there. Mm-hmm. But um, until, (laughs) yeah, well, this is, I think one of the things we should kind of spell out is that like the system is designed for max top speed. It's not necessarily the outcome isn't necessarily max quickness of your trip, because like sometimes you'd have a quicker trip if you had the whatever million permutations that a street grid or like an organic street form, you know, allows. But it's free flowing. (laughs) I mean, just to use your water analogy, I mean, it's the same thing here. You have, you know, a water pipe that that's collecting lots and lots of different sources of water into it. And it's flowing really freely until Mm -hmm. something creates a clog and then everything is backed up. And that clog creates that congestion, you know, as far back as there are cars that are trying to access that place. Um, Yeah. Or when you think about, you know, uh, you mentioned earlier public safety. I mean, you think of, of something, a fire, um, having a a crash that you have, you know, different people out on, on the scene Uh trying to clear that up. You, you really, you get stuck sitting. Yeah. And looking at all of the other things around you, uh, all the other cars and people waiting around you gives the appearance that it's actually maybe worse than it really is, but all you're seeing is what's around you. Uh, that's such a great point because like most of the streets in your neighborhood or anywhere around, I live in a more like gridded part of town and they're all empty like all of the time. And so it's not that there are no alternatives. It's just that it's all funneled to the place where it feels crowded and that it becomes crowded and that it is really inefficient and it's like they have like these arterials have like a gravitational pull you know higher speeds and greater capacity is attractive and therefore congesting when a lot of people need to use it mm-hmm. and we, we do see this happen in other parts of life if you're at the grocery and there's only one line yeah or leaving a sports event if there's only a couple of exits or one or getting off an airplane mm-hmm. like we yeah. we experience that at smaller scales. So it's, you know, makes a lot of sense why we should necessarily see it with cars. Agreed. 
Well, I think we also have to, while we're talking about this, we also have to talk about the way land use um, affects congestion. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was saying at the top of top of the episode, you know, we tend to overlook the fact that we have decisions that we can make that either contribute to or detract from congestion. This is what, one of the things that I was talking about. Yeah. As you're looking at how land use has developed over time, most people are pretty familiar, have heard this when we talk about sprawl, mm-hmm. um, zoning being, you know, while having other origins as well that are not today's topic. Mm-hmm. One of them was separation of uses and creating this lifestyle where we do everything in pods. Mm-hmm. We wake up and, and have breakfast in our you know, residential pod and we get in our car and we drive to the office pod and then we leave the office pod and we need to hit the grocery store on the way home. So we drive over to the retail pod. Mm-hmm. You know, this idea of, of really keeping things as separated as much as they can, which of course creates an exorbitant amount of street network that's necessary uh, to serve all of those land uses. And you know, there are alternatives to that too. We, we talk about things like, like having complete neighborhoods where you have Mm -hmm. access to things that are within a short walk or a short bike ride that don't necessitate you getting in your car. But the way that we have continued to develop has necessitated us getting in our car for virtually everything. And therefore all of the principles of city making have come back to what we talked about earlier, the history led us to, which is, aha, everything has to be centered around the car. That's the only way that this is going to work. Yeah. Well, and it's not just the separating, it's the pushing them really far apart. Oh, you mean with things like parking lots? Yeah. Well, so that the distance, so that the distance makes cars the most comfortable way to get there. And then the planning and design makes cars almost a necessity because of the safety issue right and like you said the parking requirements it's not it's this whole like web of things that we've kind of added on and i think you're probably about to go here but you can't separate transportation and land use and the one starts to infiltrate the other it's a self-reinforcing it's like a symbiotic relationship for sure yeah yeah and you know to your point earlier about space being taken up quickly with cars on the streets, the same is true with our sites that we're creating for building. Yeah. And so we have created these sites where there's more of the site devoted to the placement of cars than there is for the actual building itself that people are going to visit. Yeah. So, and then I, I kind of just want to make a note on like on density. It's, it's really a kind of a component of the land use thing, but people tend to kind of associate density with congestion and that it you know is like true to an extent but it it doesn't actually have to be um i think it just has to be if the only option and the sort of like required option is driving mm-hmm. but as an alternative like density allows uh, public transit that's actually viable it makes corner stores and like hyper local services and businesses makes those viable um it makes things in walking distance um, it's in other words, it's kind of like there's alternatives to driving, um, which yes. even that kind of phrasing, you know, alternatives to driving situates driving as the default. because driving is yeah, driving is the universal. Yeah. yeah, and then the last thing I had in my notes was just kind of this jumble of transportation like ideology or thinking mm-hmm. and policy and funding. 
Yeah. And it's all kind of wrapped up in one another, but it's it's not necessarily just a free choice option like it's it's sometimes presented. Yeah, for a lot of a lot of reasons. There's that underlying assumption that we have that first of all, growth equals activity and activity equals cars. So mm-hmm. if we want growth, we have to have more cars. So there's a lot of um there are a lot of ideological statements that are made that would lead lead us to believe that growth and prosperity and affluence and you know uh, sustainability and and all of those things for our communities are tied to mm-hmm. our ability to um, make sure that congestion doesn't inconvenience anyone. Like that's the key to success is the way right. that that's presented a lot. You know, which, which is really interesting when we think about that because. We, I, I hear this in in conversations about things like tourism and economic development, yeah. and you know th- those types of conversations as well. And you know these conversations are all about people that are driving a distance. Yeah. So first of all, we we kind of discredit or dismiss the people that already live in the community or in the central parts of the community. Mm-hmm. We kind of already take them out of the equation when we're talking about this. You know, another thing is we think that reinvestment in our communities equals cars. We think that development of raw land equals cars. I mean, our regulatory structures mm-hmm. at a local level are set up this way, as we've alluded to, with parking and street specifications and standards. You know, we see this at the federal level as well. And the kind of backhanded message that is unwritten, but I think accurately Uh received, is that things like uh, safety of people and the preservation of place and the uh, fostering of neighborhoods and, and things of that nature are really far less important than just moving traffic quickly. Yeah, because we that's our priority and we make mm-hmm. our decisions based on that. Yeah. And whether it's whether it's like explicitly said, which sometimes it comes close to being explicitly said <laughs> yeah. or or not, you're getting the same outcome. Yes. Yes, for sure. Well, and there just to the, on the funding piece, there's a lot of research that goes into this and we can only like skim the top of it. But, you know, parking subsidies is something I was just learning about recently. Mm-hmm that that's like a non-taxed benefit that employers can offer and it's effectively subsidized. But then even just models like development models that let's say you've already, you've got the zoning um, requirements and the subdivision ordinances that require a certain amount of parking Mm because everyone has to drive everywhere. You got You got to provide parking. Yeah. Even well-meaning people will say that like people who get the problem are still going to be like, yeah, but the reality is right. So even if you took all that stuff away, a lot of these developers, whether they're commercial or, or residential, have already got these models that are pretty much still set up to perpetuate the same mm-hmm. use of cars. But we're saying more cars and less space is congestion. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you know, the state and local connection is also really interesting. I remember just being really frustrated working um, in the uh, MPO or Metropolitan Planning Organization world where you know, there's this framework where by the, the state is letting you know, um, and these are regional entities, what your allocation of, of funding is going to be. And mm-hmm. you ha- are required to maintain a plan for how you're going to use that allocation. 
And, you know, if you're looking at all of these plans statewide, and, and I've heard counterparts in other states grumble about this too, that they're, they're all highway projects mm. or they are widening projects. And it is often touted as being proactive in the sense that we are getting out ahead of the growth. We're watching where it's going to go. We're projecting it. We're getting out ahead of it by building up everything that we think we might need, but we're going to do it today. And the defense of that is, well, of course that makes logical sense Uh because instead of building these roads and then coming back later and having to spend more money on them to increase their capacity, let's just go ahead and do it all at once because it's going to be cheaper for us, right? If we just go ahead and build these majorly wide roads, we're saving ourselves time and we're saving ourselves money. And I've, I've heard that defense many times and there there was probably a time where I was maybe even guilty of mm-hmm. saying that. Mm-hmm. So on its face, you know, that that seems to make a lot of sense, but um land use is completely divorced from that process. Nobody's mm. considering how that interacts. The, you know, types of funding, the different buckets of money have different restrictions on how they can be spent and where they originate from. And so once in a while you get, you know, a bone thrown at everyone else Mm -hmm. with something like, well, when we update this stretch of highway and we rebuild this bridge, we're going to put in some curb ramps Uh and a sidewalk that's about two blocks long. And we are building walkability and resiliency and all of these things into our future. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, you use the word capacity in there, maybe a time or two. And I think we'll talk about this, like we'll focus on this in the next, you know, part two of this podcast, but you can really see how this, this does go back to the decisions and the language that was emerging in the 1920s from seeing the street as like this multifaceted public domain where lots of stuff happened to like just a, a question of enough real estate for moving cars and, and is there enough capacity? And I actually think it would be worth uh, reconsidering even the word capacity because we certainly diminish the capacity for like a robust neighborhood ecosystem by, yeah. you know, thinking of capacity in these terms. Good point. Good point. So let's move on from that. And, and I want to, before we wrap up, I want to ask us a question. I want to know. Okay. Congestion is annoying. Is it also fundamentally bad? And I, I asked that question because I've heard people make the argument that congestion is in fact good. Yep. So if it's bad, is it only bad? And if it's not bad, is it good? That's my question. Yeah. There's a lot to think about there. Yeah, I've, I've heard this as well. I mean, it's it's kind of like the notion that um, if you go to, you know, a party or an event and the place is packed, mm-hmm. everyone wants to be there and that's where you want to be too, you right. know? I don't think we feel that way, to use your analogy, when we're in line at the store. That doesn't really <laughs> feel like much of a party. But yeah. yeah, I've heard that said. You know, I've also heard it said that, if congestion exists, it means we're doing something right in our community because it means this neighborhood or this sector is is attracting people at such a high rate that, man, they're they're really packing it in, trying to find a place so that they can experience this. You know, there there I think is maybe some logic 
to that argument. You know, if you uh, go to a, a downtown, for example, downtowns with lots of activity where you're not guaranteed the ability to park right in front of every store you want to go to. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good thing. You know, and I think we've touched on this a little bit in some of our past episodes. You know, you could also maybe make the argument that if you are experiencing that type of congestion in in specified areas, it might actually turn people away because they don't want to deal with the congestion and trying to find parking and all all of that. So Mm -hmm. you can really make that argument cut both ways. Yeah. What are your thoughts? So I've been thinking about this a lot lately. And It's because I heard somebody describe congestion as a good thing and an indication that you have a place that people want to go and right. Like you could, you could eliminate congestion if that, if you just choked out, you know, any of the places that anyone would want to go. And so there's no, there's no cars there, right? There's no congestion in the desert. And I understand that, but I just think of it as feedback. Mm-hmm. Like I think we're best to see it as useful feedback, and I think seeing it as good, and maybe it's like intentionally uh, iconoclastic, but I still think that betrays a little lack of imagination, too. Yeah, because there are places that have the density to allow public transit and walking, and like lots of local shops and stuff, and it's quiet. And like check all these boxes that don't have congestion. And you know Mm -hmm. why? For a few different reasons. Like Paris just announced their plans to make the core of the city car free by 2024. The same Mm -hmm. thing has occurred, I think, in Vienna. There are many cities in the Netherlands that started decades ago not allowing cars, except for like delivery vehicles at certain times, to go through the core. But they let um, bicycles go through the core. If you're in a car, it's not a real big deal. You drive 15 minutes around the city, but it's like a three-minute bike ride. Right. And that's both a place that functions, has a lot of places people want to go, and it doesn't have congestion Yeah. because you have viable, I don't even want to call them alternatives. You just have options. Right. The least of which is is the car because you physically can't, you know, you're not really supposed to Mm -hmm. (laughs) clog up that street space. Right. It's a (laughs) re-reimagining. Of the streets as I agree. I remember going to to Catalina Island off the coast of California. Oh yeah. As a kid and and being mesmerized because it's, you know, golf carts and bicycles Mm -hmm. and and fit only. I mean, that's all there is. And uh it wasn't that the streets weren't full or busy. It certainly didn't feel unsafe. Was there congestion? Some might argue so. Uh, but was it very maneuverable? Absolutely. Was it actually enjoyable? Yeah. Yes. It's all in the environment that we create, how we're going to respond to those types of, of situations. And uh, there's just a lot of things about being behind the wheel of a car lately that if you read the news and listen to what's going on, just really makes people angry. But I, I haven't yet heard about, uh, unless I've missed it, someone climbing off a golf cart and having an episode or, you know, angry pedestrians that are mad at each other for some reason, um, unless there's more to know about that. So, uh, totally. Uh, I think if you, because I've started noticing this lately, if you start paying attention to when people talk about anger, the like number one example people go to first is like somebody cuts you off while you're driving. Yep. It's always some yep. like, Oh, you're stressed out about traffic. You got to get pissed off. It's always right. car and traffic related, but Jordan, that's freedom. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, you know what? I, people are right to be pissed off about that, and we hope you know this show maybe can redirect that away from. I don't know. I should be able to drive more easily too. Well, I don't want to assume what's in people's head, but like, there's alternative alternatives to this horrific experience. Definitely, we we can certainly plan and design and regulate and and do things like that 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 can get us out of some of these situations. I mean, we uh, we continue to do the same things over and over again, mm-hmm. um, and yet at the same time, we're finally now realizing how detrimental uh, freeways can be to neighborhoods, and uh, yet we're we're recognizing the things and we're still doing the things and i'm i'm hopeful that at some point we'll have more of a reckoning of you know those two viewpoints yeah i totally agree so yeah and my ultimate answer to the question is it's feedback i don't know it's it's i like that way of looking at it yeah it's a clue it's yeah. a clue that there's more to know yeah and the answer that i come to as a result of that feedback is congestion's the result of cars it's not the result of places accurate so i think that's all we are gonna say about that right now but we will come back and talk in our next episode some more about traffic congestion and some of the responses that we've tried uh, to addressing traffic congestion over the years uh, and how they may not have always gone how we hoped All right. So that's where we're going to leave it. Um, Your homework for this part, part one of Talking Congestion, is to check out the links that we've dropped in uh, the show notes for this. That's where we're going to leave it for right now. So until next time, I'm Jordan. I'm AJ. And this is We Built It. Oh, yeah. And it's, yeah, we built it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Completely spaced. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) See you next time. Bye. Yeah.